And then you just want your story to be its most clear, like there's one problem in the story, right? There's not like all these extra, you know, things and points that might want to come in, but um, there's just the one story problem that you're going after and, you know, beginning, middle and end and um, yeah, not getting bogged down in the details. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Carolyn Leilaglu writes books for children. Her picture book, Libraries Most Wanted, was a 2021 Willa Award finalist. She was also a 2018 finalist for the Katherine Patterson Prize. Her poems and stories have been published in magazines around the world, including Highlights, Ladybug, and The School Magazine in Australia. She's also part of the Habit membership, where she generously answers her colleagues' questions about publishing and picture books. Carolyn Leilonglu, I'm so glad that you are on the Habit podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on here. Um, you, as I was looking at your, um, uh, your various publications, uh, I was just, uh, my mind was blown when I saw that you were... Um, You've been published in a publication that I've been reading. Maybe I shouldn't say I have been reading, but I read before I read any other publication just about, and that was Highlights Magazine. Yes. Yeah. The the tricky thing with Highlights is a lot of us say it's easier to get a picture book published than to be in Highlights sometimes. So I was very honored to have gotten yeah. a story in there. Do they still do Goofus and Gallant? They do. Yeah. yeah. I think they actually have it online now. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not get to meet them. <laughs> I, I want to know what what are they like in real life? You know, <laughs> Goofus and Gallant was always my favorite thing in in yeah. Highlights magazine. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's great. So, not too long ago, you published a book called Libraries Most Wanted. Um, yes, about a little girl named Libby who is a deputy a deputy library deputy librarian mm-hmm. and takes her job a little too little too seriously. Yes. Um, you, I mean, you had mentioned to me uh, just a little while ago that you didn't go to libraries too much as a child. Yeah, I didn't really. I mean, we went to the school library. Um, my mom mainly t- would take us to bookstores. That's how I got most of my mm. books, but we didn't really grow up going to the library. So I kind of discovered how wonderful libraries were as an adult, kind of after I had kids and was just roaming the aisles with my kids looking for books that we would enjoy together. So uh-huh. yeah, that's when I came to love it. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, the the protagonist of uh, The Library is Most Wanted, as I said a minute ago, uh, Libby, she takes her job just a little too seriously. Tell me, it's, tell uh, I love characters who take their job too seriously. You know, yeah. <laughs> Hank the cow dog and uh, Barney Fife, you know, people like that. And so you've got yeah. your your characters a little bit like that. Yeah. Well, so the whole idea for the book, um, like a lot of my picture book ideas kind of started out with like the interesting title and concept, Libraries Most Wanted. What would, if I, if there were to be wanted posters in the library, like why would there be and what would those be about? And um, mm-hmm. I, I really agree with, um, you know, C.S. Lewis when his talk about, um, or his essay about writing for children, um, he says, you shouldn't go in with like, what moral do children need to hear? Instead, you know, you should either say, what do I need to hear 
or let the moral develop naturally. And I do feel like there's a moral to my story, but it is something that developed naturally because I started off with these ideas like what would be the bad things, right? That Mm -hmm. (laughs) would go on these wanted posters, like ripping a page or losing (laughs) a book, like things that we had done. (laughs) And, but I realized like, well, that's not what I want this story to be about. Like, I don't, I don't want kids to be afraid of the library. And, you know, that's not really the purpose of a librarian is to make sure the books are protected. Yeah, right. <laughs> really, you know, the purpose is connecting books with readers. And so what I had to do is, you know, allow Libby to start off in that very super serious, like, I got to protect these books from everybody. Um, and then find a natural way for her to come around and realize, oh, <laughs> I'm not doing my job right. Like, this is not what a library is about. Um, and kind of because I feel like, you know, libraries have that like stereotype, especially in a lot of like movies and stuff like, yeah. oh, shh, you have to be quiet. You have to be on your best behavior. And um, it can, I think, make things feel a little bit intimidating. Mm -hmm. Um, for kids. Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to touch the books on the book display, like what's, what's allowed in here and what isn't. And so um, I just wanted to make it seem more inviting, like, Hey, you really do belong here. Like if you love books, come on in. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Are, are, Are people allowed to touch the books on the book display? Yes, I was so intimidated as a child and even as an adult. <laughs> so I started taking my kids and and the librarians had put up these, you know, displays and like mm-hmm. but that's because they're like, "Hey, this book is awesome. Like you should check it out." <laughs> yeah, right. It's not just to like, you know, be venerated or something. Yeah, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> you know, I I love the idea that you know, if you it, there's a very real way that when you take a thing too seriously, you are getting the thing wrong. And so, yeah. I mean, I, I guess we, maybe we should explain your point. I mean, we're talking about this because Libby is working so hard to bust the kids who chew the pages or dog ear the pages or whatever, that mm-hmm. the kids stop coming around. Exactly. And, and then a tumbleweed comes through the library, which I think is pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> That's my favorite page spread. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's great. Yeah. Um, because it's also has a Western theme, right? This, this story mm-hmm. that Libby wears cowboy boots and a, maybe a little vest or she wears some sort of, she wears a vest. Yeah. She, she wears, yeah. no, she wears a little, little flannel shirt. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. So in, in the course of taking her job so seriously, she doesn't do her job well at all. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which might have some relevance for writers. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I know. I definitely think so. Um, yeah. You you talked to me a little bit about this earlier. It was at, um, if I told you, I told you, I'm a rule follower, just like yeah. Libby, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it it definitely I think has an impact on how I go about writing, and sometimes uh-huh. a negative impact on it because. I feel like I have to figure out what all the rules are before I can do this right. You know, like mm-hmm. I have, I, there's probably one more class I need to take mm-hmm. and I probably, you know, I'm doing this wrong. And, and I, it's with writing, I mean, there are rules, but mm-hmm. then again, a lot of those rules are meant to be broken, right? Like they're like, if you know what the rules are, you know, like about how to write a sentence, for example, there's times when you're going to, for emphasis, just, you know, use one noun 
as a sentence. And that's technically breaking a rule, right? But yeah, right. but there's times when that's appropriate. So same thing with like, you know, writing with like story structure, for example. I took a class last year. Um it was a wonderful class from Mary Rosewood and it was about mm. the hero's journey. Yeah. Um, but I feel like in some ways it kind of roadblocked me because I'm like, well, does my story fit the hero's <laughs> journey? I don't know yeah. if I can yeah. like match all the stages up. And, um, and really that's, you know, a good story is going to fit most of that, but, uh-huh. but looking at it and, um, a prescriptive way wasn't helpful for me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it is for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't helpful for me because I think because I'm such a rule follower, like I feel like I have to get it exactly right if yeah. if there's a, a format. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Most of the rules about writing that I know are more helpful after the fact. Like something's not working, mm-hmm. what's not working about this, you know, and it might help you diagnose what's wrong, but it's not it's yeah not usually helpful to say, okay, going into this sentence, I've got to make sure the subject and verb are pretty close to each other. And I got to make sure, you know, I don't end with a preposition or, or whatever. Um, yeah. Well, the preposition, that's, that rule is not very helpful, period. But no. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, as I said, as a way of figuring out what's wrong, not as a way of, you, you talked about the difference between prescriptive and, and well, you didn't contrast to another word, but, but, um, but to say yeah, but something like Freitag's Pyramid is really only helpful. If, you, if, if your story doesn't follow Freitag's Pyramid and it works, good on you. <laughs> I'm not going to you know, come hunt you down to find out why you didn't match it up with Freitag's Pyramid. <laughs> right. Um, so you may have already answered this question, but I wanted to give you a chance to, to say anything else about it. How has been a root? being a rule follower, how has that helped you as a writer? Hmm. That's a good question. And I'm not sure I have as much of an answer for it. Um, I mean, I think that it has, you know, just as like too many classes and like getting bogged down with all of that is negative. It mm-hmm. It is good to to educate yourself and, and you do need to know some stuff going in, or you're going to end up with like a 3000 word picture book, which <laughs> no one's going to buy. Right. Yeah, right. Or, you know, like a, you know, it does help to know like what the conventions are and what um, the best mm-hmm. practices are. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's as long as you're balancing, right. That's the hard thing for any of us is to find balance, but yeah, it, I think it can be good too. Yeah. You know, I, I think it, in, in terms of rules, it, it, it is helpful to, um, I think, fill up your toolbox or your tool belt or whatever, you know, whatever we metaphor we're, we're going to use, not with the, not with the expectation to use all these rules and tools and tips and tricks, but knowing when something doesn't work, I've got these options uh, for, for trying what does work. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Um, which is is um, the the spirit of the rule follower is I want to know the the one you know the one right way to do this and if you can get pushed past this is the one way to do this and into here's one way to do it I think that you know the tendency to be a to the, the desire to know the rules can be really helpful if you've just got a wide collection of rules and mm-hmm. <laughs> and what works and what doesn't uh, especially given the fact that what works today may or may not work next week 
or next Absolutely. Year. Absolutely. Like if you're, you know, if you're only reading the classics, which are wonderful, mm-hmm. then you're not going to be able to write something that is going to get published today, right? Because mm-hmm. the way that we write has changed so much. Like we, we've gotten tighter and mm. shorter and and sparser with descriptions and um and we're thinking about different different ways of uh, of making our manuscripts work than they were back then. Yeah. Um did you have to reach a point where you got over yourself in terms of loving the classics and man you know a lot of people love the classics and I I have been this person at at some point in my life uh loved the classics and thought, boy, we've really, you know, we've really gone to the dogs since, you know, Charles Dickens was writing or whatever, and had to get over that and think, okay, I'm glad Charles Dickens did what he did, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think less so because I'm a children's writer and because mm-hmm. I love reading children's literature. Like I, I went to um, I went to Biola and did the Tory program, and we basically just read the classics, and it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but because my focus has been children's literature, there's fewer of those older books. Like a lot of, um, I mean, most books even that I grew up with, right, would not necessarily be considered in that same time time frame, not the classics. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I don't think I had that struggle quite as much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what, what are some really old children's books that you like? Really old. <laughs> uh, I or, mean, let me say how far back really can you old. go for children's books that you, that you really love? I mean, that I really love, I mean, like that, I, that I like, you know, Alice in Wonderland and, um, I like George MacDonald a lot. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm, well, I love at the back of the North wind, but that one mm-hmm. gets a little meandering sometimes, yeah, right. but you know, I love, I grew up on Chronicles of Narnia and Madeline Langle and, mm-hmm. um, so, but those were, you know, they, their lifetimes overlapped with mine. Right. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. or I don't know almost. about this, but yeah, yeah almost. Uh, how about, um, what about Beatrix Potter? You like Beatrix Potter? I do. I, and I grew up with those as well, but, um, yeah, that's definitely a different type of storytelling. Yeah. Right. Wind in the Willows. You like Wind in the Willows? I do. Yeah. See, you're thinking of all the ones that I'm forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so you have, uh, operated a book review site, house full of bookworms for how long have you been doing that? I started in 2014, so it's, uh-huh. it's been a bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, a lot of that just came from the fact that I, as an adult, still really enjoyed reading and revisiting um, children's books, both yeah. ones that I had read, you know, as a child, and then new ones. And I found that, you know, a lot of my friends didn't necessarily enjoy doing that, didn't necessarily mm-hmm. enjoy like pre-reading for their kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this would be like a great service to offer people. And then at the same time, I knew that I was pursuing writing at that time. And, you know, of course you don't know for sure if you'll ever get published unless you decide to publish yourself, but like mm-hmm. that wasn't something on my radar. And so um, I I did have it in mind that like, Hey, maybe someday like I'm going to have books as well to tell people about on here. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what are some things you learned about writing for ch- these, these are all books for children that you review at House Full yes. of Bookworms. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what are some things you've learned about writing for children from operating that? 
website? Yeah. Um, the things I've learned definitely aren't in the rules category for mm -hmm. sure. Um, it's more, I've learned what I like. I've probably been able to pick up on voice, mm -hmm. um, you know, been able to tell like what works in, especially in picture books, like what works in a picture book, like what really makes a good picture book. And I, a lot of times that's a combination of like heart and humor. Mm -hmm. um, they're not always humor, but um, it definitely helps to have something <laughs> funny, to have something in there that um, that maybe the kids aren't going to pick up on, but make it more interesting for the adults, you know, some mm -hmm. of the humor in there um, or wordplay. Um, yeah. And then just that voice of like consolidating a story down to about 500 words. Um, you know, I learned that through writing also, but like yeah. through reading a lot of picture books, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Do you, I mean, is it the sort of thing that you have some, some um, tips or whatever for, for condensing things down to such a short? Uh, yeah. So, so with picture books, one thing to keep in mind is the um, half of the story is meant to be in the art. Mm -hmm. So you're not looking to describe things. You're not saying... Libby was wearing a denim shirt and mm -hmm. she had boots on and pigtails and she has red hair. Like it's yeah, just yeah. like Libby was doing that. Right. And the illustrator is the one who actually gets to decide that because they're a co-storyteller with you. Yeah. Um, so that definitely helps uh, cut down on uh -huh. <laughs> the words. And then you just want your story to be it's most clear, like, there's one problem in the story, right? There's not like all these extra, you know, things <laughs> and points that might mm -hmm. want to come in, but um, there's just the one story problem that you're going after and, you know, beginning, middle and end and yeah, um, yeah not getting bogged down in the details. Uh-huh. No, I, I, that's a, that's a great point about the, you know, letting the illustrator do the describing for you. It's, so it's, it's really about movement. You're talking about moving from. Yeah. From point A to point B. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as an author, you should be thinking about, um, and as you say, movement, like, is there going to be a way for the illustrator to, to draw something new on the next page? Or is everyone mm -hmm. like just a talking head? That's not going to work as a picture book because yeah. there won't be anything to draw. Uh-huh. So, mm -hmm. Huh. Um. Can you say just a little bit more about that? I mean, when you say you're giving the, you're, you're giving the illustrator something to draw on the next page, mm -hmm. any more you can say about that? Yeah, I mean, it, that can work different ways. It could work with, you know, you're introducing new possibilities for action or new location or mm -hmm. um, not sure I can like practically, you know. Yeah. I'm not sure. The like location. the wanted posters I like, I like as an example. Idea. What's that? The wanted posters, for example, in my picture book. Um, what's fantastic is the captions on the wanted posters. The illustrator actually came up with those. Oh, really? Like I didn't dictate those at all. Yeah. Uh -huh. Um, and and she did a great job. Yeah. Like it, you know, they're hinted at what's on them, uh -huh. but like she was the one who actually came up with that. And the whole the tumbleweed rolling through when I say the <laughs> the library, the children's section is ghost town quiet. Um, <laughs> she's the one she came up with that tumbleweed and that's funny. Yeah. It's, that's it, great, it's you're, it, but make something more than you could have made on your own. Yeah. You know? And and she's a person who thinks visually and, yeah. and I mean, 
hopefully you think visually too, but probably not quite as visually as she does. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're working on something new. Tell me about uh, what else you've been working on lately. I am. I've got a novel on submission right now and it looks hopeful. So it's a contemporary middle grade fantasy um, where art is magic, pictures are portals, and one family has been tasked with protecting them. Uh huh. Yeah. Is that all you got to say about that? That's that's the pitch right now. Yeah, I can't <laughs> say much more. I can't. My agent said not even to say the title because that could change. But uh-huh. yeah, it looks uh, it looks promising right now. So oh, good. That would hopefully be out in a couple of years. So yeah. Well, I'm I'm so glad to hear it. Well, I want you to tell me uh, another uh, something else that you are probably expecting this question. Who are the writers who make you want to write? There's a ton, but um, I'll narrow it down to two. Uh, Andrew Peterson's Wing Feather Saga series. Just um, I love how he created a world and just imbued it with so much meaning and mm-hmm. um, and the character relationships. I just those that that world has always really inspired me. And then. Um, Cassie Beasley, she wrote um, Circus Mirandus and the Bootlace Magician, and um, the way she brings fan- fantastical elements into the real world and um, and just weaves in so much so much meaning. I I just love her books. Yeah. Does she write novels? Yes, middle grade novels. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Have you just said that? I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Um, well, and. Um, uh, the Wingfeather books, I, I like. I, I like you know the, the way you talk about this this world that feels so full and overfull. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I love the uh, I love the footnotes in that. You know, that, that give the feeling <laughs> that there's there's so much more going on than than is making it into the story. You know, yeah. that's such yeah. a, a clever trick on Andrew's <laughs> part to to include those those footnotes. And uh, yeah, my and kids especially love the footnotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and these little these little um, uh, sort of off the cuff remarks that he doesn't come back to, you know, that, that feel mm. like you know there's something, and, and of course that that was a big part of the the Wingfeather Tales collection that I was just, he got his friends yeah. to do. I was just thinking that like he left enough open for other people to explore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, great, Blind. I need to check out Cassie. Cassie Miranda is the name of, of that. Uh, Circus Mirandas is her book, but it's Cassie oh. Beasley. Maybe yeah, I misspoke. Cassie no. Beasley, and it's uh, Circus Mirandas and the Bootlace Magician is the follow-up. Okay, she's fantastic. Well, I'm uh, I'm gonna check that out. Um, great. Well, I look forward to seeing uh, your new novel too. Soon, I yes, hope. Lord willing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Carolyn uh, Leilaglu, for being here. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of the Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. 
More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.